Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Pack to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is David Richmond. He's an entrepreneur, author, public speaker, athlete, and philanthropist that uses the lessons learned in his life to enrich and inspire others. As a former sedentary, overweight, and smoker, and David described himself as that, he knew that he needed to focus not on what others wanted out of him, but on what he wanted out of life. With his first book, Winning in the Middle of the Pack, David discussed how to get more out of ourselves than one could ever imagine. Now, with his second book, David is sharing the interconnected stories of others overcoming obstacles, specifically cancer. The name of his second book, Cycle of Life. Hello, David, and welcome to Back to Basics. How are you doing? Hi. Good, Leticia. How are you? I'm very excited to talk to you. Likewise, likewise. I mean, um, all the work uh, you have done and, and, and the, even the names of your two books, they're inspirational on its own. You know, as someone that is always looking for catchy names and phrases, and even when you name an episode on the podcast, you know, and I say, oh, these are two great uh, names and we'll get to it because uh, yeah. your second book, obviously, uh, it has a nice play of words there. Well, I'm in Miami and I read somewhere that you are from Miami or born in Miami. So let's go back to the origin story. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your upbringing and, and growing up. Well, yeah, I was. I was born in, in Miami and in very odd circumstances, my parents were 38 years difference in age. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So when my mom was 18, she married my dad, who was 56 at the time. Wow. And uh, I was born, my sister was born first and then me. So we grew up in Southern California. My parents moved to Southern California shortly after I was born. And yeah, I was raised in Southern California. And that's where the, the journey began. Obviously, a little wacky. Uh, having one parent that's super, super, super young and another one that's super, super, super old. But who doesn't have a wacky childhood, I guess? And absolutely. Absolutely. Anything anything in particular? Like, was your dad like younger than what he looked? And maybe he or or anything in particular for the he, he's just very curious. You don't hear that. He every... might have been. Yeah, he might have been. I think maybe I missed that window mm -hmm. because back then. You know, 60 was old, but 70 was really old. And when I was about 10 years old, he was 70 years old. And, yes, yes, and I imagine. back then, it's, you know, now you look at 70-year-olds, they're running marathons and starting businesses and and uh, being life coaches and this kind of stuff. You know, 40 years ago, 70-year-olds, they were... Uh, they were retiring to Miami. <laughs> of course. Uh, yes, that is true. That is true. So that well, yeah, I imagine that uh, open up a lot of different different situations that uh, most of us haven't dealt with. But and so as you were growing up, did you have any particular passions, anything that you thought of oh, when I grow up, that's what I want to be? Yeah, I did think I would grow up to be a writer, an author. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a long time before I was able to get to the point where I could pursue that for my living. But I left home very, very early in, in life. And, and my dad died when I was young. I came to know very early in my life that my mom didn't want kids. Or if she did, she certainly didn't like them, not her own. And so I think I just embarked on the world trying to find where I belonged and, you know, try to figure stuff out. And when you do that at a very young age, sometimes you get, it takes you a while to get on your feet. So it took me a while to, to figure it out. So I did a lot of things in my uh, younger life, you know, for you name it. But um, yeah, I ended up uh, working on Wall Street. I, I ran a very big business for a big uh, investment banking firm, uh, very, you know, very big brokerage firm. And then just it's only been in the last like 15 years or so that I've been able to focus on on writing books and and uh, really pursuing, you know, what I hoped had been my passion my whole life. But uh, it's certainly been my passion the last uh, many years. Wow. And I know you're a transformational coach and I love that definition because I think a lot of people are really yearning to transform somehow and they don't know where to begin. So, you know, you you hear life coach, you know, business coach, but transformational coach, I think I really like that, that definition. And so what happened? Was it there anything in your life that triggered that particular transformation besides what you've shared like 15 years ago? What, what was it that sure. you woke up and said, I'm not happy, as some people say, or was it something that you had to deal with that you say, I'm okay, this is time to, to well, make? Well, no, it, it- it was definitely that waking up one day and realizing that I'm not happy. And a lot of stuff happened in a short period of time. So in my uh, late thirties, I was stressed out. I was overweight. I was a smoker. I was not very healthy. I was not very happy. I had young kids. I had a four-year-old twins, which was a great part of my life, but I was, uh, I was married to a, uh, an abusive alcoholic. Um, she was uh, emotionally and physically abusive and and I just needed to get out of there and 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 I didn't know that I could because I kept trying to fix the problem and try to make everything better but I had a friend tell me he said uh, in so many words he said you know stop complaining about all the problems in your life because those aren't the problem you're the problem hmm. and he says you you treat every problem like it's a dog and you want to pet it and make it feel better. But sometimes a dog is rabid and it's just going to bite you if you keep trying to pet it. So why don't you stop worrying about the problems and worry about yourself, like fix your own problems. So I, I kind of went, oh man, like, yeah, I don't want to be in this relationship. I don't want to live trying to always fix problems. I need to look in the mirror and say, you know, kind of like, who do you want to be? And I, having run very large businesses and being a manager and now being a parent, um, I realized that it just kind of hit me that I learned all these lessons in life, but I never applied them to myself. I was only applying them to the world and I never, I never took my own medicine or, 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 or took my own advice. So, so I started to focus on that and that, that was, that's led to the most change. I love it. And I love the fact that uh, it was a friend of yours, you know, that gave you that push because I really am a firm believer that we all have it in us, you know, and for others to do it to us and for us to push others that that conversation that can mean that when when I ask you, like, what happened? And then you say, I had this conversation with that yeah. friend, you know, something that seems so trivial as you're having a chat with your friend and then 
full transformation happens from that. It's so powerful because it's within everybody's reach. Yes. And listen, uh, I know uh, I learned something a long time ago and that we are all just pastor buyers in each other's lives. Right. And sometimes don't you wonder, like, why did that person come into my life right at that time? Like, why? Like, why did why was I thinking about, you know, eating Cuban food? And then all of a sudden, a person that I never talked to about that before says, hey, you know what? I was just at this Cuban restaurant the other day. Like, why does that stuff happen? Right. And I think sometimes we hear things when we're supposed to hear them. We know things when we're supposed to know them. And I didn't know that I needed to focus on myself until one day I knew. And, mm. and yeah, it was my friend that, that said it, but it was also a, a number of other things. Awareness of the world, I did all that, but I never, never looked in the mirror and said, yeah, well, what about you? Like, what about you? What do you want to do for you? Mm, I love that. So I know we're going to talk about mostly your second book, Cycle of Life, but uh, tell me a bit about the first one, Winning from the Middle of the Pack. Is that the name? Yeah. Yeah, it is. So it's, it's, it's winning in the middle of the pack, winning in the middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. So think about this, right? There's people in our, that we know that are super crazy overachievers. They're going to win at whatever they're doing, right? I mean, the best of the best, right? You know, you can look at uh, music or business or whatever. You know, there's Oprah Winfrey and Elon Musk and you name it, right? There's all these overachievers. I don't have a lot in common with those people. And I don't think most people do. Um, uh, but, and those people don't really care about what anybody else thinks they're going to do whatever they do. And that's such a beautiful quality in one sense, because a lot of times they're doing good, but I'm saying that like, it, they don't get defined by what other people think of them. And so, um, in the middle of the pack, it's like, imagine like a big marathon, like the big Miami marathon, right? Everybody's watching the first few runners and everybody's watching the last person to see if they're going to make it. And, and everybody in between, nobody's watching but they all have a very important reason for being there. They're trying to prove something. And so instead of trying to prove it for somebody else, because nobody's really watching the people in the middle of the pack, they're trying to prove it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's a good place to be. And when you're trying to be the best you, that's, that's really, really important. And for me, I never had done that. And I think most people don't. And I think sometimes when we hear bosses or we hear people that, experts or coaches or whatever they try to make us a certain way and i don't think that works i think that we need to try to help people to try to help ourselves be the best that we can be Mm. help them be the best they can be and so that means you have to focus on yourself not not follow me but follow yourself you know and 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 that's what that middle of the pack means is nobody's watching nobody's going to care but you're always going to know so you you better worry about you and that, mm-hmm. that's what that middle of the pack book is. And so I wrote that book with lessons learned from doing uh, running businesses. But then also I had, when I made that change to not being unhappy anymore, I started to do endurance athletics. And so uh, marathons and Ironmans and hundred mile runs and those kind of crazy things. I started to do those and a lot of lessons I learned in there. So I talk in that book about those lessons. And I have to say, I don't think I've ever read someone that has run so much or done so many marathons. Or <laughs> I mean, it's very impressive, impressive. I don't know how you do it. Like, I, I like the idea of running and I can run for a bit, but I don't know. Like, did you run like 24 hours straight several times? 
I have. Yeah. In fact, uh, yeah, I ran 105 miles one time. I've run 85 miles in the Mexican summer of, in June. I ran 85 miles down a lonely highway in Mexico in June. I've done 5,000 mile bike rides and all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh my um, God. And not to, I, I used to think that anybody that would do that is trying to impress people or trying to accomplish something. I'm only trying to learn. Mm -hmm. and see what I'm capable of and see what I can handle and see how far I can push myself. And honestly, I, I really only do it for myself. And I, and that's the greatest thing because who I never did that in the first 40 years of my life. I never did things for myself. And even, even uh, and I don't want to make it like being self-centered, but I'm saying like taking care of yourself, self-care, like to find out, who you can be. And, and even when I'm doing things that are for others, I, I first I'm doing it for me. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I never thought that way before. And so that was a big, a big change in my life. And, and, um, endurance athletics is a place where you can think about heavy thoughts like that, because when you're going through your busy day, who has time to think about that? But when you're on a bike for six hours or you're running in the desert for 10 hours, you can think about a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> no, I can totally see it. Besides like, oh my God, I'm going to die here. I can think of so <laughs> I many other that... <laughs> I imagine, but it's great. And I think, yeah, I love those stories because I know the human capacity that we have. We really don't tap into our full potential. And when you hear stories like these and the fact that you were a smoker, that you were overweight at some point in your life, you know, people, some people say, oh, I can never do that. Look at me. Or, you know, I cannot... You know, I would never have the strength, but then you hear these stories and you see people having that ability and you say, really, if if you want, you can do it. So it's, it's great. So you just got to, right, but you, you just got to want, and you also have to be able to give yourself the space to learn and to fail and to forgive yourself. And it's, it's really a, it's really a difficult thing, right? Hmm. Because I, I can't tell you how many times Leticia, I say to somebody, oh, I did this and they go, oh, I could never do that. And I go, no, you're just choosing never to do it. It's not that you don't, couldn't do it. You just choose to not do it. Now, that said, if I wanted to go be an astronaut starting at my age, probably not going to happen, right? Yeah, you have to be realistic for sure. Yeah. You have to be realistic. But but honestly, aside from really un, like, this is not possible. We, we could do anything. And, 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 and what I say to somebody is I go, oh, you, you could never run 100 miles. Really? Never? And they go, no way, I could never even run five miles. And I go, okay, so let me, let me give you an idea. All cars are broken. All trains and buses are broken. And you find out that your kid is in a house a hundred miles away. And if you don't get there in the next day and a half, the house is going to burn down. <laughs> Now, do you think you could run a hundred miles? They're like, of course I could. I said, all right, well, you just got to want to. You got to find the motivation. I'm not telling you you should do it, but but I'm saying that if you wanted to, you could do it. You just have to make it that priority, like that kind of a priority. Right. That's absolutely right. Great advice. And and so with your latest book, you have a incredible concept, unfortunately, of a of a, of a subject that I think has touched one way or the other every human being in the world, which is cancer and losing someone to cancer and going through those emotions. So talk to us about Cycle of Life and, and how you put together mm -hmm. the stories and, and just your own journey right in the book. Oh, thanks, Leticia. So 
look at who who out there doesn't have like somebody that's affected by cancer, right? Everybody does, and if it's undeniable. But the problem is, is that oftentimes it's hard to really talk about the feelings about it. And remember when I I told you I'm at this low point, I'm looking in the mirror, I'm overweight, I'm a smoker, I I'm stressed out, I I need to get me and my kids to safety, and I start worrying about my own problems. I I I I just said, who do you want to be? Where do you want to go? What are you going to do? And so I see this big journey ahead of me, right? And at the same time, in, in that same period of time, my sister calls me and she's only 16 months older. She has a beautiful marriage, two young kids, great group of friends and family. She's, she's living her best life. At that same time, she gets diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. So she's going to be on a journey that's going to lead to her death very soon. I'm on this journey that's going to lead to, you know, some future, you know, enlightenment or something very different uh, mm. paths. And so we talked about a lot. We talked about uh, a lot of emotional things and we, we, we found a way to communicate in a way that was very connecting, like what you talk about connecting. And, but I, what I realized Leticia is that most people are not, and I'm not saying everybody, but most people are really good about dealing with like, Oh my God, how do I, how do I get my kids watched? And how do I take time off of work? And what kind of sources are there that tell me how to have a better diet? And they get diagnosed with cancer or somebody's going through cancer and they, they deal with the tasks. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the hard conversations, how do you feel about it? I can't tell you how many times I've, I've opened this conversation with someone and they say, Oh my God, I had a friend that was dying and we spent a lot of time together, but God, you know what? I never. I never felt comfortable saying, how do you feel about like this prospect that you're going to die? Like what kind of emotions are going in you? Cause it's really hard to have that conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what I did is I, I wanted to write a book that would explore 15 people's or as many people it ended up being 15. I wanted to find very inspirational stories and doctors, patients, loved ones, survivors, and I wanted to talk about their emotional journey of this trauma and then um, how things in their life might have affected their ability or their inability to connect with people that were important to them because of these traumas. So, when, for example, if somebody says, I don't want your help, I'm fine. Well, do they really mean they don't want your help and they're fine? Or do they mean, I don't want to burden you? Or do they mean, I don't want to feel ashamed or do they mean i don't want to tell you i need help because if i do you're going to leave me hanging and you're going to you're going to let, let you know you're going to abandon me you're going to think worse of me you're going to give me pity i don't want pity there's a million things that could be going on mm -hmm. so it's better not to ask that question right oh, oh i'm fine i don't need anything oh, okay good all right good right and let boom. me know Right. Let me know if you do. No, I'm never going to let you know that I do. Because I, I, the first time I ask you, you're going to tell me no, and I'm going to look like an idiot. Right. Yeah. So or whatever, whatever's going on. And so I wanted to write a book that would explore people's mentalities, because I know you, me, everyone that's listening had very traumatic things happen to us when we were young or young adults that affect the way that we connect with people. And if if the people in your life are important and you want to connect to them in a deeper way, you need to understand what they've gone through or what they're going through. And uh, that takes a very hard conversation sometimes. And so I wanted to 
to deliver that in a book form in story form so that people could walk away and go, Oh, I, maybe I'll try that next time. Somebody tells me something, or maybe I should open up to somebody this way where before I closed off or something like that. So I wanted the book to help people you know, form deeper connections. Uh, and, and I'm sorry to hear about your sister. Obviously I cannot imagine losing your sibling to that. And, but the fact that you, that it happened, unfortunately, but you converted that experience into something so powerful because I also understand you donate the proceeds of the book to research and, and cancer research, which is incredible, and uh, and that you're inspiring so many. So may I ask, how did you choose the stories? How did you reach out? How did you identify like, oh, yeah, these are the 15 stories I want to tell? Because I'm sure you came across many, many stories that are, were equally powerful or beautiful. Yeah, for sure. What I didn't want to do, Leticia, is I didn't want to tell the same story 15 different ways, right? Because yeah. I could imagine you hear that uh, your spouse has cancer and I could imagine that you're immediately fearful of losing your spouse, right? I could imagine that. But what I couldn't imagine is telling your spouse that they have cancer and them being happy about it. I could not imagine that, no, right? That but seems, I need to- Yeah, of course. It seems impossible, right? Yes. Doesn't it seem impossible? Yes. It seems impossible, but it's not impossible. And, 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 I, and I could tell you the story behind why it's not impossible. And that's what's important is I wanted to bring a range of emotion, a very, very different evocative stories, very inspiring stories, but that were different. They got cancer when they were young. They got cancer when they were old. They just became a um, an oncology nurse or they've been a oncologist for 40 years. They had cancer one time. They're only afraid of cancer. They had cancer five times. Like I wanted all of these different uh, uh, elements so that I could tell all these crazy diverse stories so that when I say to you, we never know what people are going through or what they, what, what, you know, what, what's happening with them on an emotional level. We, we can't assume we know because, because when somebody says, no, I'm fine, if we don't know what's going on, how, how do we know that what that means, what it means, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I cold called hospitals. I cold called cancer centers. I said, Hey, you, you know, any really interesting stories? I called friends. I called friends of friends. I, I called everybody, you know, and I'd say, Hey, I'm, I'm looking for a young Latino who is too macho to overcome their their machismo and, and ask for help. They're like, oh, I don't know anybody like that. Okay, mm -hmm. but I do know somebody that, and then they would tell me a story and then I go, oh, maybe I should talk to that person. Mm -hmm. So I, I ended up with stories that were very, very diverse, very wide range that would cover a lot of different emotions and a lot of different trauma so that we could identify with those stories and bring it into our own lives. Wow, that's incredible. And, um, and I understand you went by bike to visit all these people around the U.S. Is that correct? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's another that's another aspect of it. Sometimes I don't even talk about it, but it's part of the book. So I feel like, um, I mean, you and I both have this thing about connection, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel like if we're connect, we're all connected by stories and we're all connected by emotion. What better way to connect everybody than to draw a line connecting the book subjects, the line being my, my bike ride. So I didn't get to meet all of them, 
uh, because they're sp- scattered throughout the country. But I did get to meet most of them for the first time. I had been talking to them for a couple of years, purposely on the phone, not on like video or anything, because mm-hmm. I wanted to have them be safe to not not mm-hmm. worry about interacting mm-hmm. or being judged on how they react mm-hmm. or something. And so, yeah, I jumped on my bike. I, I rode 4,700 miles in 45 days. Oh, Basically, I went from L.A. to uh, Tampa, then over to Orlando, and then up to New York City. Basically, that that was the basic route. And I stopped at hospitals, and I met people along the way. And every day, people told me, oh, I have a friend at work, and their son just got diagnosed with some something, and I don't know what the heck to say. And, or somebody will say, I have a best friend, and I don't know what to say. And I, like everybody had that same theme. Like, what do you, how do you have these hard conversations with people? Um, but everybody wanted to know, like, wh- like, how do I connect with people on a deeper level when they're going through something like that? And so I wanted to learn about that and write about it. Wow. That's, uh, you know, it's something like one cannot imagine no wanting to buy the book. You know, on one hand, you don't want to buy it because you don't want to be in that situation where you have to give support to someone you love so much and then having to go through, through, you know, having someone you love with cancer. But as, as you yourself say, we know this is something that we're going to have to prepare for. And it's not only about cancer, it's about losing someone. It's about going through extreme challenges. I'm sure that, that you know, that what share on the book really will help you deal with the difficulty emotions, you know, and difficult situations. So is there a takeaway, like if you had to say, you know, this is the one thing, like if, uh, to me personally, if I'm sharing a struggle, it, it really, I don't know, I cannot deal with people. It will be okay. Like that they dismiss and everything magically will be okay, which is good. It's, it's well meant, but sometimes I would much rather have the person just sit with me and it's like, yeah, this sucks. But just being there rather than just dismissing it with, and it will be okay. Everything will be fine because I, it's impossible. They know that's true. So it almost seems like they are dismissing your feelings. So what's your take in terms of what you learn that, that that's the best way to, to tackle something like that? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a little difficult to say if there's, there's a magic answer. I think if there were something that it's, it's not so easy as this because there's multiple layers to it, but it is, um, you say it well, like where right? you need to connect to yourself uh, and like, and be your best self, right? You got to connect to others and, and be, be, be the best you can be when you're connecting with them. And I think the way that, that you, you do that, especially in light of this and what, what I think everybody had some commonality to the story was in this feeling isolation or in self-isolating and, and keeping people at arm's distance from the emotional stuff. And so the way that we could connect is to really be present when you're asking questions and to ask more questions because it's really, really hard to ask the questions. But if you're coming from a place of authenticity and you really care about the answer, do you know, and you're not trying to tell them how to feel, do you know, like I, there's one, one guy in the book who said, you know, I literally had to fly halfway across the country to spend my weekends because nobody knew me halfway around the country. When I, when I was at home and I would walk around town and people would see me, all they would do is like go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you lost your wife. And they would look at me with all these puppy dog eyes and try to make me uh, feel like I have their sympathy. And that's the worst, worst thing that I could have had. I didn't want sympathy. 
I didn't want people to look at me like that. And, and so to not assume that you know what people are going through, but to be present and to ask. And the example that I would give is the same thing we talked about a minute ago. If somebody says, I'm okay, I'm fine, really. I'm, I'm okay, I don't need anything. Then you gotta find the right place to say, you know, hey, Leticia, when you tell me you're fine, there's something that's I'm sensing that says you're not fine. And I'm a, I'm just curious. I hope this doesn't offend you, but are you are you telling me you're fine because you don't want to burden me? Because it's not a burden. Or, or are you telling me you're fine because you don't want to face it, which is totally fine, but I just want to know. Or you're telling me you're fine because you're afraid if you ask for help that I'm not going to be there, but I am going to be there. I just want you to know. Or what is it that you're saying when you say I'm really, I'm fine, right? It's not that easy. It's not that linear, mm-hmm. but like figure out a way to find a safe space to connect with somebody authentically and ask questions because it's really uncomfortable to ask really hard questions, but sometimes it's the only way to go to form that connection. Do you know, like somebody was interviewing me uh, on a podcast a couple of months ago and he was telling me how he took care of his dad the last couple of years of his dad's life. His dad was uh, fighting cancer. And he said, oh, it was such a joy to be able to take care of him and, and to feel needed like that. He goes, but I only have one regret. And I said, what's your regret? And he goes, I never had the nerve to ask him how he felt about dying. And I really would like to know how he felt about it. And I'm like, whoa, Mm -hmm. how hard of a question is that to ask your dad that you're caring for, that probably feels guilty, that knows he's leaving you, that, uh, I mean, he maybe cannot wrap his brain around the fact that he's, who knows? Yeah. But imagine if he had asked him, dad, I want to ask you, how do you feel about dying? Like, Like what's going on in your head about that? What a hard question. It is. But it is. Do you know, in his case, he wished he would have asked it. So I, I think that happens more than not is who doesn't know somebody they wish they got a little deeper with before they got out of their lives, do you know? Yeah, that's that's a good point. I I tell people like sometimes I say I I feel lucky because I have my parents still alive, but they are, you know, 87 and 79. And I always ask them questions like, why did you do that? Why did you do this? And I'm always asking because I, 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 I feel bad for people to say, oh, I wish I had asked this to my, my dad this. Or I wish, you know, there's those elephants in the room in every family that pe- stories that people don't talk about or whatever. But then you realize it's if you don't ask about them now or you don't ask about feelings now or how you feel about a special person, then you're not going to ever know. And that's a, a so, heavy regret. so smart. Yeah, no, it's so smart, Leticia. One of the book participants, uh, she takes care of people. She took care of one person after another. One grandma died of cancer. She took care of her. She took care of the next grandma. She died of cancer. A friend, a sister, blah, 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 all these people. And she said to her, she, she said that her mom gave her some great advice. And she said, her mom said, because her mom was battling a terminal cancer. She remembered what her mom had told her when she was a little girl, where she said, you got to face your problem. You cannot pretend the problem isn't there. You can't even wish the problem to go away because when the problem goes away, that means the person is gone, right? Like face the problem, deal with it, right? Which is important because when the problem goes away, sometimes that means the person is gone and Mm -hmm. and we don't want the person gone. So don't want the problem away, just fix it or Mm -hmm. deal with it or process it, right? Or whatever. That is great advice. Because, you know, sometimes it's too late. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think 
honestly, what what you have done with the book and how you're connecting these stories and, and highlighting connection and also emotions. I think, um, you know, it's fantastic work and, and also putting, you know, the philanthropy you're putting into and helping people transform. I mean, amazing. Is is there anything else exciting going on right now, David, that uh, you have an open microphone? Anything else besides, uh, you know, promoting your book and speaking and, and doing the amazing work you do? Oh, that's really sweet. No, I mean, every life is exciting. Every day is exciting. It's, it's, uh, I'm very, very fortunate, um, because, um, I'm healthy, I'm active and, uh, you know, I wake up every day, f uh, knowing I'm going to learn something or trying to learn something or see what I'm accomplishing or whatever. But yeah, I, I'm going to continue to focus on psycho lives. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, all the proceeds go to the cancer focused, uh, organizations that are uh, chosen by the people that are in the book. They chose mm -hmm. them, uh, like Moffitt Cancer Center in Florida is one of them. And so I'm going to keep focusing on that and hope that I can make a small dent in the area of getting people to have more tools to talk to their loved ones and friends and family about really difficult trauma, because it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Like you, what you do, you know, with your podcast and I'm sure other things is trying to help people be inspired to connect in a, in a better way and, 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 you know, live, live on purpose. And so that's what I try to do. So if anybody wants to follow, yeah, I, I do public speaking. If it's a cancer related organization, I don't, I don't charge, obviously. Um, I do writing workshops and, and trying to help people deal with their trauma through creative writing. And yeah, I'm just going to keep writing books and well, keep exciting. connecting with people like you. I, I love it. And of course, all your info will be in the show notes so that people know mm -hmm. where to buy the book. And yes, it's a part of the mission. I think uh, like like with you, it's just the connections we make, people we know along the road and, and just knowing that the work that you do is just inspirational. And I think it just creates ripple effects, ones that we don't always see, but that they are there. And that I'm sure, you know, with, with the subject of this last book, I know you, you probably give hope to many, many that read it in the, in a moment of, of despair. So mm -hmm. is there anything else that makes you tick that when you need to reconnect to, oh, this is David, that uh, yes, this, I have not done this in a while, but <laughs> when I do it, I, I feel connected uh, to myself. Is there anything else that you want to share? You know, I, uh, I have two, two beautiful kids. I have a wonderful wife and spending time with them are, are great. Um, I love to cook. I love to host. Obviously, I love to do endurance athletics. I love to write. One of the things that I love to do, it's, it's a passion that I have and have had my whole life, but I, I haven't fully uh, done it, is I do mosaic tile artwork. Oh. So every once in a while, when I'm feeling like pieces are falling apart in life or they're not putting together as much as I want, I do a mosaic art piece because that puts all the pieces together, right? Mm, I like that. It's like if you... If you feel disconnected from the world, sit down and do a puzzle because you're going to you're going to feel connected because you're going to solve a puzzle. You're going to connect things. So I think the thing that uh, sometimes I wish I did more of was uh, was mosaic tile work, but artwork. But uh, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell right there. Yeah, that, this interview helped you remember that so that maybe uh, on the weekend you'll be doing some of that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, this has been great. And, uh, and and as you're saying, we cannot reinforce it because we are both very passionate about connection. And, you know, just anybody out there listening to this, just, you know, connect to those around you, 
to things that make you tick. And just life gets better when you really intentionally uh, look for that kind of connection. Yeah, for sure. And Anything else, David? Uh, final word? No, I, I would just say, I would just say, add to that, like, don't be ashamed of asking the wrong question or saying the wrong thing. Because if you're caring, if you're coming from a, a position of, of truth and caring, you can ask a tough question. And if, and if it's stupid, somebody's going to look at you and go, man, Leticia, that's a stupid question. Don't ask it again. <laughs> and you can go, okay, but at least you asked it. And you're not going to wonder, should you have asked it? Right. You know, that's, so, so don't, don't, great. don't be afraid because you're going to regret it one day. Well, with that, I mean, those great closing words. I want to thank you, David, for being back to basics. And, uh, you know, we'll be following your work and, and the incredible places uh, you will go. And uh, thank you for your time and for your work. You're welcome. And thank you. Where, where are you at? Like 150 episodes or something like that? Uh, yeah, you're probably going to be like 150 something. Yes. Wow. We'll keep doing okay. it. Okay. Right now yeah. we have, uh, yeah, 142 published by the time we're taping this. And we're always like 10, 10 episodes ahead. Wow. All right. Well, congratulations. Keep doing it. I, I love it. And uh, yeah, good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Until a new episode, everybody. Thanks for showing up to Back to Basics. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you and until the next time.